Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Baptist Church's podcast. For more information about the church, please visit our website at www.emmanuelmanning.com. Thanks and enjoy the sermon. Well, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2. like playing guitar because I'm not behind the drums and I can hear y'all sing. And that's an encouragement. We're looking today at chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. 18 through 22. So follow along as I read today's text. For some reason, our Bible screen stuff is letting us down today. I'm not quite sure what happened. We'll remedy that. Uh, But it's good to have your Bibles out anyway. And so uh, look at verses 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins." But new wine is for fresh wineskins. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, in the first chapter of Mark, what we saw as we looked through that is that Jesus was gaining fast and broad popularity. Uh, Within a very quick time, he had uh, lots of people listening to him teach. We saw a miracle at the beginning of chapter 2 where the house was so crowded where he was that People couldn't get in, so they had to dig through the roof to let a person down. Jesus had a meteoric rise in Galilee when he first started his ministry. And Matthew talks about the Galilean ministry of Jesus, just talking about him healing every kind of disease, him teaching as those who uh, had authority and not like the scribes. This was a man who came and had a word from God and had works from God. And Mark Uh, concurs with Matthew showing what's going on. But as you can imagine, and as we've been looking at, just as Jesus had a meteoric rise in popularity, he also had a very quick rise in unpopularity in in some circles. Uh, Specifically, the scribes and the Pharisees uh, began to see Jesus as a threat. I mean, after all, if you were to say so-and-so, you know, doesn't teach like Drew, that might upset me a little bit as well. Um, But the scribes and the Pharisees uh, were really beginning to want to pick holes in Jesus' ministry, and they wanted to exercise their authority as what they considered to be the the people who were the keepers and um, the the protectors of God's word. They had the authority and the reputation of being on Moses' seat. 
And so they wanted to flex their muscles with Jesus. And what we've seen since the beginning of Mark chapter 2 is just a rise in tension with the scribes and the Pharisees. And we've said this two or three weeks in a row now, but by the time we get to Mark chapter 3, verse 6, it says the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And I can't help but think of that line from the movie that says, boy, that escalated quickly. Uh, Because it does. It escalated very quickly. It started with just the, the scribes and the Pharisees just murmuring to themselves when they heard Jesus teach. If you look back up at chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Now some scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. So at first, they were just questioning in their hearts about Jesus' ministry and the kinds of things that he said. Then look down at verse 16 of chapter 2. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples. So now they're no longer questioning in their hearts. They're now talking to his Disciples, And then in today's text, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and the people came and said to Jesus. So you can see even the way that Mark records this, that uh, the, the tension is growing and they're getting closer and closer to actually confronting Jesus himself. Next week and the week after, they just kind of go right at it. And I think the very last confrontation that they have, Jesus initiates it. Uh, so this is just getting uh, more and more intense that this Jesus, who seems to be speaking from God, who seems to be doing the works of God, is coming uh, to clash with those who held authority in Jerusalem. The question today is really over fasting. And we're Baptists, and we had a potluck last week, so maybe a message on fasting is appropriate the week after that. Not not that this is a message on fasting. We'll talk about that just a little bit, um, because that's not fundamental to what's going on here. The question is about why they weren't fasting. Uh, and, and in the Christian life, there are times of feasting and of fasting as well. But just so you have a little background, um, John's disciples, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and the Pharisees had a regular routine of fasting. Most of them fasted twice a week. In the Old Testament, there was only one fast that was declared for all of Israel, And that was uh, the fast on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur is what it's called. And then there was another fast that kind of developed at New Year's. Uh, And so most people fasted maybe a couple of times a year. But the Pharisees, in order to show their piety and their devotion, and also John's disciples, to show their piety and their devotion to God, fasted usually Mondays and Thursdays. And what happened is, as, as that went on, Fasting kind of became a, a marker of those who were really serious about their religion. We said last week that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. And we said that sinners isn't a word that meant these are terrible people. Sinners was just code language for people who aren't really the pious ones. And so the way you showed your piety and your devotion to God and your, your mourning over the sin of the land of Israel and your mourning over the fact that God's kingdom had not come yet, the way you really showed that was by fasting twice a week. And so it wasn't some just benign question. It was a loaded question that Jesus was asked. Hey, buddy, you seem to be so pious. One of the markers of real godliness in our day is fasting. Why don't your disciples fast? Are they not waiting for the kingdom? Are they not mourning over the sins of Israel? 
And one of the things that you need to know about Jesus' ministry is other than, you can fact check me on this, all right? Get your fact checkers out. But I think it's true that other than the 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, usually when someone talked about Jesus' eating, they talked about the fact that they thought he was eating what? Too much. He was a partier. He, he went to a lot of banquets. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Pharisees called him a drunkard and a, and a, a glutton and a wine-bibber. He was called a glutton and a drunk, um, which he wasn't, but uh, it's just feasting seemed to be a part of the ministry of Jesus. And today, we find out why. And so this is not, this is a loaded question. Why, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast and then yours don't? And what that question insinuated, you ever been asked a loaded question? I don't like loaded questions, right? Uh, the question insinuates that if Jesus and his followers intend to be taken seriously, then they better really pay attention to that fasting protocol because that's what the, the real sharp people do. <clears throat> and Jesus wanted to set this record straight. And the way that Jesus sets this record straight is by saying that fasting, <clears throat> fasting would be completely inappropriate right now. That's Jesus' answer. Fasting would be completely inappropriate right now. And the reason why is amazing. And he talks about fasting being completely inappropriate by using three examples. The first example he uses is that are you going to go to a wedding where two people are saying their vows and like getting married? And are you going to go there with like ashes on your face, mourning the sins of the world? Is that appropriate at a wedding? The answer there, kids, is it ain't, all right? When a wedding is a time of celebration, and especially in this day, uh, because it was, it was a time for a wedding. And I don't know if you know this or not, parents, if you ever complain about how much a wedding costs, in that day, weddings lasted seven days. Yesh! And it was a feast for seven days. Um, and everybody in town was invited, and you threw a spread like no other. And it wouldn't be appropriate for a groomsman to be standing up beside the, the groom just looking like he's peaked and, and like ashy because he's going to pass out because he hadn't had any food. It was a time of feasting. So Jesus says it's inappropriate to fast now because we're at a wedding. The second way he says it's inappropriate is he says it's inappropriate because it's like putting an unshrunk a piece of cloth as a patch on an already shrunk piece of cloth. Now, in my day, when you got holes in your jeans, mom did what? She patched them. I went to school with lots of patches on my jeans. I don't see that much anymore because now holes are cool. Um, but but th these, these patches were this very tight material. It was tight because it wouldn't shrink. Because if you put it in the washer and it shrunk, it would just rip the whole thing. And he says that fasting now is inappropriate like putting new wine into old wineskins. Because what happened is new wine was basically wine that was like half fermented. And you put it in these wineskins, which were like leather pouches that were sewn together. And if you put new wine into a new wineskin, what would happen is uh, as that fermentation happened, uh, carbon dioxide would be released and that pouch would expand, Okay. Uh, and then it would kind of, I don't know, wear it out. And so if you took an old wineskin and put a bunch of new wine in it, when it went to expand, it would just pop. 
And so Jesus says fasting right now is like being mournful at a wedding. It's like putting unshrunk cloth on a hole. It's like putting new wine into old wineskins. You just don't do it. And so these people came to Jesus, and they, they were going to ask him a question that kind of put him in a corner. And instead of Jesus going, man, I hadn't thought about that. You're right. We should fast. Jesus basically turns the whole thing on him, and he says that fasting is inappropriate right now. Which leads to this question. Why was fasting inappropriate then? Here's why. Number one, because Jesus' presence indicates the arrival of the kingdom of God. Jesus' presence indicates the arrival of the kingdom of God. And you'll remember a couple of years ago when we were preaching on Easter Sunday, we preached through Isaiah 25. And it said, in that day, there will be a feast of um, marbled beef and wine on the lees. That is the good stuff. And that day, God himself was going to throw a feast. And that day was when the kingdom came. And so Jesus is doing something amazing here. These guys are fasting because they're, they're awaiting the time of the kingdom to come, to no longer be under the oppression of the Romans and any other oppressors, but to be everything that God intended Israel and the whole world to be. And Jesus, by saying, now is not the time to fast, Jesus was saying what? It's here. It's here. No, we don't fast now because the kingdom is here and the king is here. When Jesus came, the kingdom of God came. And because of that, it was no good to have fasting because everything you're waiting for is standing right in front of you breathing. And he's the one who's going to deliver. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that now that he's come, there's an entirely new approach to, to God. There's an entirely new approach to the kingdom of God. There's an entirely new approach uh, to, to seeing yourself being reconciled to God. It's not like these Pharisees who did all this stuff to be taken seriously. It was now that God had come in Christ, it was all about what God was going to do and not what you should do. And therefore, you could rejoice and celebrate. So Jesus says it's unthinkable that you would fast now. I mean, think about it. Because of Christ, check it out, Christian, you have a new heart, you have forgiven sin. You're a new creation in Christ. You have God for your Father. You have the Spirit to help you in your weaknesses. All things must work together for your good. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. To you belong the promises of God and the ordinances of gospel worship and the fellowship of the saints. You have access with boldness to the throne of glory. You have the ear of the Father, the intercession of Christ. I'm running out of fingers. The riches of God's, I'm doing my toes. The riches of God's inheritance, the hope of glory, you'll inherit the earth. Your hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. You will see God. You are called sons and daughters of God, and to you belongs the kingdom of God. Sin cannot condemn you. Satan cannot destroy you. Death has been defeated for you, and glory waits. So now that Jesus has come, all there is when he was with them was rejoicing. And this needs to be, and it often is not, the frame of the Christian life. We'll talk in a minute how, because of the way things are now, there's still a place for fasting. But in the Christian life, there's also a place for feasting. And that is being together and being glad 
for what God has done for us in Jesus. And so Jesus says here, you're at a wedding. Now what's amazing is what this says about Jesus. I, <clears throat> I'm grateful for my Jehovah's Witnesses friends who take the Bible seriously. I'm just sad they take it all wrongly. Because all this stuff happened after the scientific revolution. If you look at it historically, scientific revolution says anything that's true needs to be written in a scientific statement. And because it does, even though it does say Jesus is God in as many words, because they don't think it does, they think reading the Bible like a science manual. Remember when we went through Revelation, how poetic and uh, how symbolic and allegorical that was? Poetic people, time, in this time, this is the way that people talk, because they read the Bible wrongly and don't read it the way it was intended, they miss everything because they miss the fact that Jesus is God. And there's an amazing little pointer here. They're all over the place in the New Testament. Because it says here that Jesus is identifying himself as a bridegroom, right? You know, what's interesting is nowhere in the Old Testament is the Messiah prophesied in terms of being a bridegroom. But do you know who is talked about in terms of being a bridegroom? God. God. And so when Jesus is here saying this is a time for fasting because um, the bridegroom has come, what is Jesus with a little wink in his eye saying? I'm God. God is here. The kingdom of God has come. I am him in the flesh. And because I'm here, there need not be any mourning around me. Remember Leviticus? Leviticus was the closer you got to God, the purer you had to be. And when we looked at Leviticus, y'all remember that. There's no PTSD anymore, is there? Um, when, the closer you got to God, the more you had to be holy. But what did holy look like? Holy meant you weren't like, we're going back, leaking body fluids. And you didn't look like a corpse. You didn't have skin diseases. And as we parsed all those things out, what we said is, uh, all those things looked like death. Unclean things looked like death. And so the closer you got to God, the closer you had to look like life because the closer you were getting to life. Remember that? And so there is no mourning in the presence of life. And that's what Jesus is saying. It would be inappropriate for us to do that because the kingdom of God is here. As a matter of fact, the, the God himself is here. And listen, God is here as a husband. What do you think of God as? A.W. Tozer said this, and it just should be repeated at least once a year in every church. What you think of when you think of God is the most important thing about you. And what the gospel holds up and what Jesus holds up here is a new identity for God for you to believe. And that is God has come as a husband to redeem his bride and to take her to himself in glory. He, he, what, what do husbands do? Husbands do the work. Right, men? Husbands, whoo, thank you, Robert. Husbands do the work. Right, men? At least husbands should do the work. There's exceptions and there's all kinds of things we can parse out. But the point of saying that God is a husband, what does a husband do? It comes from a husbandry. He's the one that cultivates. He's the one that plants. He's the one that shapes. He's after it. And the Bible saying that God as a husband is the best news in the world for you, including us men. Amen? And that's the first thing we learn. That because Jesus has come, 
feasting has come. That what they're mourning about has now come in its fullness. The second thing we learn from this text is this. Is that Jesus' kingdom is not compatible with any other kingdoms. And this is because he's God. And this is where we get into this idea of the wineskins and the idea of the unshrunk cloth. Jesus, what Jesus is saying by that is, I didn't come to be a band-aid to help you get better so that you can fulfill your greatest hopes. Right? Jesus isn't saying, he's like, your life is like an old tattered cloth. And if you just stick Jesus as a new thing in the places where you have hurts, it's going to create a worse tear. If you put the wine of the kingdom of God into your old religious way of thinking, if you put God into the old wineskin of your worldview, if you put Jesus into that, everything's going to get messed up. And that's absolutely true, isn't it? That's absolutely true in our day because what happens in our day is we take Jesus and we politicize him. We make him the, the one who is uh, the first teacher of the American dream, right? We take Jesus and we make him a Southern Baptist, right? We take, and he was, but I mean, <clears throat> I'm kidding. Uh, or, or we say, I, I want what I want, and if Jesus can help me get there, then so be it. And the problem with all that is, is Jesus is new wine, and Jesus is unshrunk cloth, and if you try to attach him to anything other than his own kingdom, everything goes worse. I, I don't know. You read those four, four horsemen of the new atheism, a couple of them have died now. Daniel Dennett, uh, Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, these guys. The amazing thing is the God that they're rejecting is a God I would reject as well. They're not rejecting the God of the Bible. And the reason that happens is because Jesus has been tacked onto so many of our programs and philosophies that has anybody seen the real thing in a while? And what Jesus is saying here is, what I'm doing doesn't fit into what you've got going on. What I'm doing is completely new, and it's the more important thing. And we have to come to a place in our life where we see that, that what Jesus is doing is the more important thing, that he's not compatible with any other kingdoms. And so let's apply this. First of all, let me say this. We should still fast, but we should do it differently. Because the earliest Christians, after Jesus uh, was taken up into glory, began to fast again. And the earliest teachings we have, we have something called the, the didache. All right? And that comes from a Greek word, teaching. Uh, in the earliest records of Christianity, Acts, the didache, and other things, Christians fasted a lot. But they fasted differently. They fasted differently. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus says, there's going to, and he, he flips the script. He says, the days are coming when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Which is weird, because usually at a wedding, the bride and the bridegroom aren't taken away from you. You just go home. And so Jesus is saying something interesting. There's going to come a day when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and in that day they will fast, but it'll be different. 
And, and the only illustration of this I could come up with was my grandparents, uh, which I call Ma and Polly. And if you ever want a good laugh, try to get Christina to say Ma and Polly. She never got it in all the years she knew them. And now they're both passed. I don't know. Why do grandparents get the names they get? Who knows? It's a mystery. But my grandparents were married on Christmas Day, uh, and, which I always thought was weird. Um, and then they were together two weeks, and then my grandfather went away to war for four years. And then he came back. So <clears throat> imagine the difference. Let's say my grandmother fasted for her groom. She would do it differently before she met my grandfather. Lord, I'm longing for the day when you'll send me a husband. I'm praying that you will make me a good wife. Fasting, and I'm not saying she did, but I'm fasting and praying for that husband that you will send me. And then she's married and she experiences two great weeks with my grandfather. And then he's off to war for four years. She may fast again then, but it's a different fasting altogether, isn't it? Because now she knows her husband, and now she's known joy, and now she's praying to have back again what she's had. And that is the kind of fasting that is good for Christians, because Jesus did come, but he was taken away. But now, having known what his presence is like, the fullness of his presence, now when we long for it again, there's a place for fasting for us, but we're we're fasting to know what we have, not fasting to have what we don't know. I just made that up. That's pretty poetic. Listen to what one commentator says. The kingdom of God makes a personal appearance in Jesus, but the final victory is far from realized. In order to overcome sin and death, the bridegroom must become their victim. Christ's followers, moreover, must experience in some way the fate of Jesus their Lord especially in the experience of the hiddenness and silence of God. The reference to the bridegroom being taken away from the disciples and their subsequent fasting was surely a reminder of perseverance and faithfulness to Mark's congregation in Rome. There will be days when Jesus is far from them, as was the father from Jesus in his death. It's with reference to sustaining the life of faith and growth into Christ's likeness that fasting is continued in early Christianity, and it's the discipline of physical privation and fasting that aids us now in watchfulness, contrition, and strength and sensitivity in the Christian life. And so now it would seem that the reason we fast is either to have more of what we have or praying that more would have what we have. What's interesting is some of the largest churches in the world are in South Korea, and Christianity wasn't introduced into South Korea until the 1830s. But there is a practice that is endemic to uh, Christianity in South Korea, and it's the practice of fasting. And it's no wonder that almost 30% of people in South Korea are Christians now. We do fast. We fast for what we have. We fast for more of what we have. When there's sin we want to overcome, when, like he says here, we're experiencing the hiddenness and the silence of God, there's a practice that we can have that will aid us in our watchfulness and strengthen us and make us more sensitive in the Christian life, and that is uh, to go without food. It makes you more sensitive. I read an article not too long ago about someone who gave up, um, what's the word, Sh processed sugar. And what they said is, is, 
it was terrible for the first four or five days. They were moody and didn't have any energy. And then what happened after four or five days is they began to taste the natural sugars and fruit as sweeter than they had ever had before. And what happens is our palate, even our spiritual palate, gets overwhelmed with all the sweets and with all the things that we watch uh, and with all the entertainment that we have and taking a break from that and all the food we have. I mean, there are some of us in here who have experienced times where we don't know where our next meal would come from, but most of us, we're all right. And what that does is that can create a spiritual sweet tooth that needs to be chastened. And so there is a place for fasting. But at the same time, one of the ways that we should apply this text is by also learning how to celebrate together. Right? And to celebrate what we have in Jesus together and what he has done for us. We should celebrate the forgiveness of sins together. We should sing loudly together. And so this morning for you, where are you at? Are you like the Pharisee who is trying to attain God's favor by your own works? Or are you someone who sees God as a husband who came to save you and to make you new? If you're not the second but still the first, I commend to you Jesus and say the way into that kingdom is repentance and faith. Because what happened is Jesus said, there's going to be a day where I'll be taken away from them. And that Greek word, taken away, is used elsewhere to describe Jesus being taken to be crucified and taken up into heaven. He was taken to be crucified for our sins. The Bible says that Jesus died for sinners. He bore the wrath of God for sinners as God so that no one who is in him would experience the wrath of God. Do you feel the smile of God? If you don't, then after the service, I would be happy to talk to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, help us, we pray. To utilize every means of grace that you've given us. Lord, it's been a while since I've fasted. But it's not been a while since I've experienced your hiddenness. It's not been a while since I've had a day where I needed again what I once had. And so, Father, help us to know when it is right and good to fast, not only for our own souls, but also for the souls of others. Going without, because there are so many that go without you. And so, Lord, help us to know when it's wise to do that. Help us to commit ourselves to you, Lord, so that we can be spiritually sensitive to your presence. Lord, we also thank you that in Jesus there is feasting and that because of him we are full. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for those who are in here and are not full that you would help them to see that the kingdom of God has come in the God-man Jesus. And because of that, our lives are characterized by joy. It would be inappropriate to mourn so much when Jesus has done so much. And so, Lord, help us today to live in his victory and his love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.